Uju everyone, Leah Lam here. Thank you so much for your feedback on our Native Lights and our Badapi podcasts. Cole and I definitely appreciate it. And we'll have more episodes coming your way. But in the meantime, we want to share our community conversations, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope you find these conversations helpful, and we think you'll appreciate hearing from these wonderful people, sharing their voices, their wisdom and insights during these challenging times. Miigwech, and thank you for listening. This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello. I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic health crisis. Today on the show, June is National Cancer Survivor Awareness Month. We've gone through so much uncertainty and worry throughout the pandemic. How do we continue to be vigilant with our health? Today, we'll hear from folks from the American Indian Cancer Foundation based out of Minneapolis, and we'll highlight a few of the resources they have on their organization's website. And also, I'd like to welcome Melissa Townsend. Melissa is joining me in my chat today. She is a reporter with this program, Minnesota Native News, among many projects. She's an ally and is also a cancer survivor. Welcome, Melissa. Hello. How are you doing? I am doing okay. So far, so good. <laughs> it's a complicated question. <laughs> it is, definitely. <laughs> so could you please uh, talk a little bit about your history and experience with our topic today? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my life, I was basically a relatively healthy person. But about three years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. It was small, stage one. I didn't mm -hmm. need chemo or radiation. Mm -hmm. I had two surgeries. Um, but if it comes back, I will need to do chemo, radiation, or both. So I remember that period, you know, after it was like, okay, it's gone now. And um, I had to go back every three months for a scan. And then they were clean for a year. And now it's every six months. Um, but I remember talking to another person who had cancer. Now, he had brain cancer. Mm. And, you know, we sort of shared, like, people say, how are you? And you say, uh, my scans are clean, you know, because you don't, you don't know how you are until your mm. scan tells you how you are because you don't know what the cancer is doing inside your body. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a very weird thing. It's a very weird thing. Mm. Yeah, just to not be able to know, mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of wait must be mm -hmm. pretty hard. And... Now that we're adding the coronavirus to the picture, it gets even more complicated. So I'm really glad you're here to help me out with this. And today I'm going to start us off with a brief introduction from Dr. Helena Gazelka from the Mayo Clinic's own podcast called Mayo Clinic Q&A. Because cancer treatments can weaken the immune system, cancer patients are at increased risk of complications from COVID-19. But despite restrictions on the provision of elective care and social distancing recommendations, cancer patients often still need treatment, such as to go to the clinic or to go to the hospital. And many have questions about how cancer should be treated differently during COVID-19, if at all. That was Dr. Helena Gazelka, and we'll hear a couple more clips from her guest on that particular episode, Dr. Tanios Bakai-Sab. But 
let's talk about that a little bit. There are lots of conditions that tend to exacerbate the body's response to COVID. Diseases like diabetes, and then there's complications from smoking and also cancer treatment. Another risk factor is age. So there are all these underlying risk factors, and that can take a big hit on Native communities. And ACAF, the American Indian Cancer Foundation, has some great resources on their website, including what's called the Cancer Burden Booklet. And that booklet used data from the American Journal of Public Health in 2014. And they put together this document that's actually really easy to read and to understand. It has great graphics. Um, It's not just like a page of numbers that sometimes you'll see when you're looking at data. And it splits out the different regions of the U.S., to help note the needs of the specific regions instead of just treating Indian country in the U.S. as a whole. And it shows that in the Northern Plains region, which we in Minnesota are a part of, our Native families face some of the highest diagnosis and death rates in the United States. On the ACAF website and social media, they highlight the Indigenous lifeways are prevention against illness. And through the ways we've mentioned so far, and also including healthcare, safe behaviors, community, and connection to nature. So Indian country is really doing some encouraging work to help health outcomes that can improve many chronic diseases. And it hasn't necessarily stopped or even slowed down during the pandemic. Social media and virtual conferencing has allowed organizations and people to keep up this communication. And we'll hear more about that later in the program. But one of the many areas in which the pandemic has possibly really affected health outcomes is in cancer detection and care. In a recent issue of Science Magazine, the director of the National Cancer Institute, Norman Sharpless, wrote in an editorial about how fear of the coronavirus has put off people from seeking screening, diagnosis, and treatment for non-COVID-related illnesses. And we know It's so important to catch cancer early. Mm -hmm. But Norman Sharpless notes that there's actually been a steep drop in cancer diagnoses in the months since the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And that's just like really astonishing uh, to see because, you know, it's not that cancer has stopped, Mm -hmm. (laughs) has ceased to uh, begin in people, but just the diagnosis has gone down. So in these strange and difficult times, we still need screening, we still need diagnoses and treatment, but there's also the added risks. So the question is, what do people do? Mm-hmm. In our community, of course, we have so many of the comorbidity factors. You know, if we were to get the coronavirus, you know, that could have such more difficult implications for the Native population. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't do anything about that. And that was Sharon Day, and a fantastic elder voice and executive director of the Indigenous Peoples Task Force. The catch-22 of this higher risk to cancer patients from COVID plus needing to get treatment isn't lost on our medical professionals working super hard to help us all stay healthy. Here's Dr. Tanios Bakai Saab, a Mayo Clinic oncologist from the Mayo Clinic Q&A podcast, with his thoughts on this. It is different, especially in this, in this time of crisis, it is different in terms of uh, you know, patients uh, 
coming to, to, to the clinic, uh, families uh, not able to join uh, the patients during their clinic visits, uh, some patients being reluctant uh, to come uh, to clinic, other patients reluctant to undergo chemotherapy. And my biggest concern is a lot of the patients who have uh, symptoms yet undiagnosed, uh, you know, who may have cancer, that are reluctant to show up to their doctor and be diagnosed early as well. So yes, it has changed quite a bit, uh, at least on the short term uh, for now. And I think this really speaks to the importance of making sure we all participate in taking protective measures. If we're, you know, loose and relaxed and fancy free, our relatives that need to go out and get care are put at a greater risk of getting sick. Yeah. And a lot of people who have to go out and get care because of health disparities in our state and in our country, but especially our state, a lot of those people are Black, Indigenous people of color. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's it's more important. Um, and also people who are poor or frontline workers, right? I mm -hmm. mean, people who have to go to work and don't have a choice of sitting in their houses, you know, doing a white collar job or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have to think about that in terms of disparities for sure. And we also had a conversation with Dr. Anthony Stately, Chief Executive Officer at the Native American Community Clinic in Minneapolis. We talked to him in April, and even at the height of stay at home in Minnesota, he wanted to make sure that folks knew to still reach out and get care. Reach out, call us, talk to us, um, reach out to us through this device like this, um, and let us be a partner in your in your healthcare and and help you manage that so that you stay healthy and your family stays healthy and the community stays strong and healthy as well. Dr. Anthony Stately mentioned this device like this as he lifted up his phone <laughs> um, when we were on our virtual conference call. Uh, telemedicine is an option too and has become more and more popular. Mel, do you have experience with that? You know, I was thinking last night, like my last cancer scan was like probably in February. So I got in under the wire. I went in, mm -hmm. I had the scan, I was like, good. And I was thinking about that this week, like, thank God, because I'm good for another six mm -hmm. months, you know. Mm -hmm. But I do have on, you know, I had another doctor's appointment. It was online. And it was great. I really feel like I can kind of dial in my attention. And I feel like I have, you know, my doctor's a woman, her attention. I don't it, it works for me. And not having to drive and park. I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? <laughs> yeah, um, I have done both like a nurse call and a doctor's visit over the phone. And it was pretty relaxing because I got to pace up and down our driveway, yeah. just like back and forth talking with her, making jokes and kind of feeling a little better instead of like sitting in a like a confined room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was out in the fresh air where the virus can just fly on by <laughs> and not, <laughs> not get on me. Around you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. It, it was just, it was actually really pleasant. That's great. I would recommend it if you need, you know, if you need care. And then, so I did have this appointment and then it was recommended that I come in. Mm -hmm. So then I had to go in, but, you know, it, it felt like I already hit that first phase, you know, and I didn't have to go in when I didn't have to mm -hmm. and instead just when I needed to. <laughs> yeah, there are things you can't do. Like I go to physical therapy, so I had to go in and mm -hmm. I wore gloves and I wore a mask the entire time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was, that's just the way it's going to be. Absolutely. And so for many people, it's important and it's necessary to actually get out and go to the hospital, go to the clinic. But <sighs> It, it can be really frustrating for all of us 
uh, as society, as individuals, when we can't do a thing to help protect everybody. Mm. Like there's no pill, no singular action that we're just kind of like, boop, here, you know, here's, this is what helps definitively, boom, we're done. Uh, But it's actually this culmination of actions that help keep us healthy. So here's Dr. Tanios Bakai Saab again, the Mayo Clinic oncologist. Elements that drive all of us right now in these COVID-19 days uh, should apply to the cancer survivors as well, uh, meaning social distancing, ensuring that when you're in public, you wear your, your cloth mask, or if you have access to surgical masks, uh, preferably cloth mask, leave the surgical and other elements to the uh, healthcare workers at this point of time when dire need for those. Uh, but wash your hands and then just be careful. That's that's the best advice we can give them at this point of time until we understand a little bit more, you know, if they are indeed at higher risk. But even normal risk folks, uh, you know, have to be careful. The same measures apply to everyone. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. June is Cancer Survivor Awareness Month, and today we're talking about making sure we remember to prioritize our health needs. So, Melissa, I'd like to ask you a few questions, if you don't mind, since I have you here. (laughs) Um, So, I'm not, like, particularly enthused about going to see a doctor. Like, just not. I don't know who is, but, Mm. you know... (laughs) And I don't know if it's because maybe I haven't felt heard in the past when I felt like there's there have been issues. So there's so many barriers. Sometimes it, it's like, I know I should go in, but there's just this block. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's just nervousness about that there is actually something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. facing it head on as opposed to having more information about the health of my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So how do you get over that? I don't know. If Do you? I mean, I think there's always going to be lots of barriers to going and all mm-hmm. that stuff you just mentioned and many, many more things, depending on mm-hmm. your experience, I think, with professionals, with doctors, with outsiders, with anybody. Um, I, I really feel like having somebody with you can be really helpful. I've gone to the doctor with my dad mm-hmm. and... Um, just notice that he really shuts off when he walks into a doctor's office and really mm-hmm. needs somebody to kind of bring his attention into the room and communicate what's really going on. And I also, you know, I have found a doctor who I trust completely. She tells me to do something, I do it. <laughs> and she's probably the 10th doctor I've seen, right? There's a lot of doctors, I think, that at least I haven't clicked with. So that might be an issue. So I think mm-hmm. that's really helpful. You can find somebody who has a, you know, just a different personality. I don't know. Does that mm-hmm. sound helpful? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what was nice about telemedicine. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like you're just chatting with somebody over the phone and it's like, it felt lower stakes. Mm. You know, it felt like less pressure. I think being able to do it on your own turf is a good point though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So today we've been referencing a few resources from the American Indian Cancer Foundation. And there's a lot more resources on their website, including survivor stories, infographics, and webinars. And their website is AmericanIndianCancer.org. And now we're going to add a couple new voices to the conversation from the American Indian Cancer Foundation, Michelle Leffler and Jessica McCory. Melissa, you talk to them. 
I did, yeah. Misha Loeffler is Cancer Equity Coordinator, and Jessica is a VISTA volunteer uh, at the okay. organization, and she's dealing primarily with survivors. And I really wanted to ask them about what they're hearing from survivors they work with about their experiences during this time of pandemic. COVID-19 leads to more complications in people who have cancer or are undergoing treatment for cancer or are survivors, right? Tell me more about why that's the case. I would say partly because they're at an increased risk for severe COVID-19 infections since they're immunocompromised. Furthermore, just I can imagine that cancer survivors having to stay home and social distance that just further adds to their isolation and anxiety. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's not just about what's happening physically in your body, but in your mind and that just trying to adjust. And now this like completely overwhelming thing comes along. So my take is that cancer survivors are already trying to understand and find a new normal. Add the pandemic on top of that, and that just further adds to anxiety. Not being able to socialize the way they did before I was reading about immunocompromised folks. You have that, but then it's also complicated by age and any other health conditions. Yeah, that is right. As far as cancer survivorship goes and for our relatives who are affected by their um, cancer, they also have to consider their treatment and what that will look like. So many of the visits have moved to telehealth, telemedicine, and for this experience with cancer, which can be potentially very isolating, having some of those online appointments further adds to feeling isolated from their care team. And where are people finding peace of mind? Where where are people finding solace? What are you recommending to them? I think um, the indigenous communities are promoting social and cultural connections. And one great move that they made was to move their annual powwows online, which helps promote connections. So I think a lot of it does have to do with the online community, but then we also know that many of our survivors are very active within their own communities, but that activity right now looks very different. So on occasion, it'll look like returning to some of those more traditional activities or just other activities like gardening or connecting to the earth. In some way, it looks like being physically active outdoors. I think another really regenerating or restorative connection that many survivors have is to their family members and especially to the youth around them. Are you hearing that from people? Yeah, so we've had two support groups that we started in late May. And these are some things that survivors are discussing, just how they're coping with cancer and with COVID. Is there, um, is there a story that somebody has shared that you might want to share with us now? In many of our interactions with survivors, they've often talked about their own children and how inspiring and motivating their own children are to keeping them on top of their health game and their overall well-being. They have mentioned that some of them have grandchildren, and so those grandchildren have really inspired them to maintain physical distancing during this very trying time, but then also just looking for ways to reach out to them and find support and just continue to celebrate life in the ways that it exists in this very interesting time. Yeah, for sure. 
I was thinking about, you know, for people who are otherwise healthy, you know, we're advised to protect ourselves by doing pretty basic things, right? Limit social interaction, wear a mask, uh, practice social distancing, wash your hands. But when you have a cancer diagnosis or you're a survivor, you have to figure out a whole host of other things, right? Like, do I keep my treatment going? Is it worth going to the to the clinic if I'm getting chemo? I mean, that has got to be an overwhelming set of decisions you have to make about your health. Oh, sorry. Yes, we are definitely hearing that there are many adjustments to be made with COVID-19 right now. Do a lot of the people you work with or hear from feel... Uh, distrust towards a lot of the medical facilities that they may need in order to uh, deal with their cancer? I would say the Indian Health Service is already, before the pandemic, it's limited and um, underfunded. During support groups with survivors, they've mentioned how they had to travel such a long distance just to receive care. Is that here in Minnesota or elsewhere? We recently spoke with a survivor who had to travel from North Dakota to Minnesota. Oh. But when we look at the research, we have seen consistently that one of the barriers to receiving care is transportation and is proximity to cancer treatment centers or just clinics in general. Okay. What else should people know about this situation for folks with cancer or survivors? I guess one thing that is pretty interesting to think about is what does caregiving look like in these times since people are caregiving from a distance? That can simply look like organizing medical documents, assisting survivors in developing advanced care directives. Uh, It can also look like helping reorder prescriptions, doing daily check-ins to see how your loved one's doing and to help them track and monitor their symptoms. Caregiving from a distance can look like giving respite to primary caregivers, stepping in for them with yard work. Oh, that's nice, yeah. To add to that, I would also just mention that our cancer survivors are incredibly strong and resilient. And despite COVID-19 and all of the impact it has made, they are continuing to find really innovative ways to explore the world and just to experience the community that they're in. They also are really interested, I think, in having discussions with community members about how important it is to take care of your overall health. And so we've had many conversations with survivors over the past couple months about maintaining a very traditional, healthy Indigenous diet making sure that you are physically active and also getting rest when you need it. They have talked a lot about looking to the culture and finding what strength that they can find in those activities. Yeah. Uh, When people are looking for support, do you offer support or where can they find that? We do have a survivor support group here. We do want to mention that Our survivor support group is open to cancer survivors. So that means anyone with a diagnosis, but then it also means caregivers and family members if they need that too. With our support group, though, we do want to mention that the facilitators are not trained mental health professionals. And so if someone needs more support like that, we 
we not provide that? And it is a very wonderful opportunity for survivors to connect to one another and have an opportunity to share their story and learn about some of the ways that the others are finding strength and um, also just taking care of themselves. That's a huge topic in the support groups is how do we take care of ourselves with a cancer diagnosis and how do we influence and inspire and motivate our other relatives and community members. Mm-hmm. And I did see that there are some grants available for survivors, anywhere between mm-hmm. $250 to $3,000, depending on the kind of cancer you have. So, yes, ACAP is offering some relief funds, and there are also other national organizations that are offering relief funds that range from $50 upwards. These relief funds, ACAP, though, sorry, are for residents in Minnesota. Only at this point in time, just due to the grant that we have, we are looking into other opportunities that include the national community members. And tell me about the rationale behind those grants. Is this because people can't work right now? Many of our cancer survivors are already experiencing some, um, just maybe like we talked about, some isolation and all of these potential related thoughts and ideations that go around that kind of experience. And so these funds are an opportunity to have some more relief (laughs) around finances, really. Not so much to care is already a huge financial hardship. And adding the pandemic, that just adds to it with people losing jobs even. Um, But it's just to help prevent those additional hardships. So today we've been referencing a few resources from the American Indian Cancer Foundation. There's lots more information on their website, including survivor stories, infographics, and webinars. And their website is AmericanIndianCancer.org. Thanks for that conversation, Melissa. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it was good to talk to them. They talked about a lot of great things. It's really great to hear their input. And, you know, they talked about resilience, mm-hmm. right? I know it's sometimes it's hard to dig, dig deep. Um, and I can't imagine having multiple, you know, layers mm. to getting through this time. Were there any ways you found, Melissa, of tapping into the, your resiliency um, with cancer, facing cancer? You know, I mean, when somebody says you have cancer, you just enter in a completely different space. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you're no longer like, I'm fine. It's like, I'm fine so far. I'm fine for now. I'm fine mm-hmm. until the next scan. I think that's kind of a form of resilience to just every day say, I'm fine today. Mm-hmm. And to decide what you're going to do at that time. You know, it, it, for me, I think lots of people deal with it in different ways. But, you know, some days you just you just getting up and making it work. And that's resilience. You know, there's no superhero capes involved. (laughs) Yeah, that's really well put, Melissa. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And they also mentioned the feeling of isolation too, you know, and this resilience through isolation is something we're all kind of facing too, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, at different degrees, right? Different degrees, of course. But, you know, it's so important to make sure we reach out and we allow ourselves to be reached out to. Thank you, Melissa, for 
talking. Thanks for having me. And joining me today. (laughs) Super exciting. (laughs) And Chimigwech for listening today. And big thank you to the American Indian Cancer Foundation for being such a great resource and wealth of information. It can be really overwhelming to try to wrap our heads around all of the complexity of what living in a pandemic means. And there are some exceptions, but by and large, we can control our own actions to help keep one another safe. Thank you, miigwech, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.